Alex. Guckste, hörste, klickste. Mittwoch, 20 Uhr. Hello and welcome, dear listeners, welcome to Burlesque on Air, the worldwide first burlesque radio show with the hot and horny host Lada Redstar. Dear listeners of Alex Radio, you're back with us. You're about to listen to another episode of Burlesque on Air. Every month we interview a legend uh, of burlesque, a legend that was performing back in the 40s, in the 50s, in the 60s. And we explore the fascinating stories of the most grandiose time in entertainment history. Welcome back to Burlesque on Air. And hello. Suzanne, remind to our listeners where they can join us and find us and subscribe our podcast, etc, etc, etc. Sure, you can find us on facebook.com slash burlesque on air. Then we are on iTunes as well, on SoundCloud and the podcast app Tune In. And of course, we have a webpage www.burlesqueonair.com where you can find our videos and links to our podcast and everything you need. <laughs> and thank you, Suzanne, for those reminders. And now it's time to introduce you to the guests of this episode. It's a very, very, very special and very, very, very wild woman. She has been called the girl for yesterday, today, tomorrow. She's the cosmic queen of burlesque. She's Camille 2000. She has a very special place in my heart because I have seen her perform in 2013 at the Burlesque Hall of Fame where she did a very beautiful act. I believe I can fly dedicated to Eddie, but we'll hear about it. And as well, she has been comp Comparing uh, the legends shown Friday night at the Burlesque Hall of Fame this year, where she was uh, hosting the part dedicated to the 70s, to the performers of the 70s. Uh, I am very, very excited and very happy about this interview. But before that, Camille 2000 has requested a song that is very special to her heart and that describes her very well, Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf. We'll 
of Burlesque on Air after listening to Born to be Wild we are with Madame Wild herself Camille 2000 the girl from yesterday today tomorrow the cosmic queen of Burlesque welcome to Burlesque on Air Camille 2000 thanks for having me I'm so glad to be here look I am so excited. I mean, I know I use this word a lot in this burlesque, in this radio show. I'm always super excited. But I mean, in this case, I'm widely excited to have you because, I mean, you're a crazy one, huh? Yes, I am a little bit wild, and I do bring that to the stage from time to time. I do love aggressive art. (laughs) (laughs) When does this uh, uh, aggressive sort of energy came into your body? Were you always such a wild child as well as a kid, or was that more in the teenage years that you became so wild? Well, I always was a little uh, wild, little Cindy Lauperish before she was even around, or Madonna. I was like that as a child. And uh, my parents thought something was wrong with me because I wasn't like the other kids. I wanted to be, like, really wild. But when I started in burlesque, I started out doing classic burlesque with the fans. I also had stuffed cockatoos. My first 10 years of burlesque, I did classic burlesque numbers. And then in my last 10 years of burlesque, I started doing aggressive art numbers like my tribute to Marquis de Sade and my Black Widow and uh, Nunchucks because we were losing our audience to something called live new dancing. Yeah. And I was trying to keep the audience when that happened. So that's why I brought that to the stage. But for the first 10 years, I didn't have the wildness. I was the classic, uh, what they wanted to see. Then after being in it for 10 years, I, I just wanted to show them a little bit of me. Yeah, but so you were classic. Yeah, and you were classic on stage for the first 10 years of your career, but were you as well so uh, kind and nice and sweet in the backstages or in your real life you were already? uh, I was a motherfucker. I was a motherfucker. (laughs) Tell us more. I was very gentle, very young, very quiet, and one older dancer said, You're going to get ate up alive if you don't toughen up. So I noticed like a lot of the girls would curse and you profane language, so I started doing it too. I started motherfucking, you know? <laughs> well, 
Yeah, so let's go to the beginnings. Let's go to when Camille 2000 was born, when Camille 2000 joined the carnival, and then it went from there. Tell us the full story. Okay, well, I did start on the carnival, Amusements of America, and uh, they had like something called, it was like a traveling burlesque theater, I guess it would be, and they were called girly shows. Yeah. I don't know if they have them today or not, but in the 60s they had them, and they would travel from town to town. They would have a, a comedian, a straight man, a line of girls, and you ballet out front to get the customers to come in. You'd go stand out in a gown while... A guy called a barker, barb, trying to get you to come in. And then when you got a full house, you would do a show. <laughs> which kind of, which kind, I'm really curious of how were those scenes sort of looking. So you would stand out sort of in daylight, I guess, with your gown yeah. on. And what yeah. would, and, and the, and the, and the, and the compare that, you know, the, 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 um, the guy who would stand outside, which sort of taglines would he scream? Which kind of uh, sentences would he scream to get the audience in? He would say all kind of things. He'd say, you've seen the mothers, now come see the others. I remember that one. It's <laughs> been a long time ago, girl. It's been a lot of... Uh, exactly, so... Remember, but I do remember them saying that. You've seen the mothers, now come see the others. <laughs> so which year exactly was it? You said that it was a... I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. You said it was a long time ago, but which year was that exactly when you started burlesque? Yeah, it was 1967. All right. When I started on the carnival, and I worked that season, and they say, well, the carnival goes to Florida, everybody in the carnival, and there was a burlesque theater down there on Miami Beach that was run by Leroy Griffith, and that's where the girls told me to go to get a job, <laughs> and that's where I went, and that was my first burlesque theater. He hired me. Hot, hot. Yeah. First theater I ever worked, and it was also the last. I did like a 20-year evolution. It was the very last theater I ever worked also. And in between, you know, I made history and traveled and done everything. Yeah. And uh, how did you even decide to join the car carnival? Were you escaping from something or were you no, looking for something? Uh, I was escaping from family and everything. And the money was good. Yeah. It was the most money I'd ever made for just taking off my clothes and it was kind of fun once you got used to it. I was a little bit nervous but they gave me a bunch of booze. <laughs> how old were you if I may ask? How old were you in 1967 when you started? If I may ask. I was, 20, I was 21. Oh well, so you weren't exactly a child, huh? No, but I was very naive. I was brought up very religious and very, you know, I wasn't like a real wild, you know what I mean? Because I was brought up in a really strict family. My mother was an ordained minister and chaplain of Eastern Star. You know, I was just brought up very, very strict. I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there so I could spread my wings and fly. They wouldn't let me be myself there. I had to get out of and get away from my family and my home. What was, what was the opinion of your mom during your career about your job? Uh, pardon me? Uh, what was the opinion of your mom during the, your whole career about yeah, your job? Yeah, they just owned me. Huh? They just, they just owned me. Yeah. It just has the last few years that I retired from the business. They kind of like, I guess, forgive me. Oh, I don't know what the word would be. Yeah. But they're not really excited about the Burlesque Hall of Fame or anything like that. I can't share it with my mother because... 
So she's still alive? Yeah, she's still alive. She's 89 years old. My father passed mm -hmm. a few years back, but my mother's still alive. She's still very religious. <sighs> and she's not amused. She still don't, she don't want to hear about it. So I can't really share my burlesque career with her. Well, but if she's very religious, she should admire you because you're a true goddess. <laughs> yeah, my mother don't see that. She's a very old-fashioned woman. And very stern and strict. Well, I don't like to get the hell out of there. <laughs> well, as very, very often... You know what I'm saying. Yeah, as very, very often a very strict uh, um, uh, way of growing up brings up the wildest sides in us as all teenagers, huh? And they won't let you express yourself when you're brought up in a religious family, especially if you're an artist. Yeah. And they think that's all like bad, anything, you know what I mean? That's not doing in their small, narrow minds. They think everything is bad and the devil, and it's really a, a terrible way to be brought up as a child. Yeah. It messes your head up, unless you get up, uh, get away from that and go out and see the world, you know? That's how I feel about it. And you did, and you toured all around the United States uh, in the yeah. circuits, and uh, did you as well tour the world back in the days? Yeah, I traveled Guam, Canada, and all over the U.S. <laughs> and um, uh, and uh, you were saying especially that your favorite theaters were in Hollywood and New York because you would receive so many presents from the stage door Johnny's, right? Yeah, I got like the nicest presents, the most expensive things, and money, and bracelet, <laughs> and gold earring. I got a lot of nice presents in Hollywood and, um, and New York. It's better than I ever got anywhere, like just for gifts, for like no reason. <laughs> <laughs> just because they like you or were a fan or something. Well, who wouldn't like you? You're, I mean, <laughs> you're such a sweetheart after all. You're so wild and you're Harley Davidson, but you're a sweetheart. I mean, I love your smile and I love your positive energy and just giving a big fuck off to the rest of the world and just living your life. And it's amazing. Yeah, that's, this how, that's exactly how it is. Like, you know, if you don't like my face, fuck it. <laughs> exactly how I feel and they allowed me to bring it to the stage this year at the Burlesque Hall of Fame you know when they call and ask me because I performed last year they asked me if I would MC this year the 70s Walk of Fame and they asked me to wear my motorcycle leather and yeah. to ad-lib and be myself and I enjoyed that because they allowed me to be myself yes let's they make a little the Fame asked for that character and I felt really good about it, and I want to do it again. Yeah, let's uh, uh, let's open a little chapter for the listeners who don't know what the Burlesque Hall of Fame is, and also who didn't have the chance to be there this year. The Burlesque Hall of Fame is a fundraising event for the Burlesque Hall of Fame Museum, and uh, every. Friday night of the Burlesque Hall of Fame Weekender, the legends of the golden era of burlesque are invited to perform on stage and to do the most wonderful Walk of Fame. And this year, the Walk of Fame was uh, organized in decades and you were very, very uh, special because you were um, uh, introducing the legends from the 70s, right? 70s, yes, 70s, yes. 
So that was quite a particular uh, and special era in burlesque because that's when actually burlesque started losing for the audience a bit of uh, its charm and uh, the ladies started losing their costumes and going fully nude. So you lived uh, uh, that experience yourself, right? Going from the classic burlesque and then trying to keep up a little bit more of a wild burlesque to then having to surrender sort of to a fully nude shows. So how were you feeling about it? What are your thoughts about that? Uh, well, I didn't like it in the, uh, when I was doing classic burlesque and a girl could do like a porn movie and come in and be a feature attraction. I had to work. It took me like a year to become a headliner. You know what I mean? I had to buy wardrobe. I had to get photos by the right photographer. I had to have choreography. I had to have an act. And it took me a while to get that together to become a star in burlesque, which I did because I was tall and young and they wanted to make me a star, but I wanted some kind of routine or something to do. But then when a girl could do one porn movie and suck one dick, and then they would feature her on the road, I didn't like that at all. That made me very angry. Yeah. As a burlesque performer, like, you know, I don't knock porn or anything, but they kind of like helped ruin the business. It didn't make it bad for pinups, you know, pornography. That killed pinups, Varleville killed burlesque, and live nude dancing killed burlesque. Yeah. And burlesque killed Varleville, and then live nude dancing killed burlesque. I said it backwards. Well, but burlesque is back now, and you're back as well. I love it, and I like it a lot. It's brought life back to me. I forgot all about it. When they called me, I said, somebody cares about burlesque. (laughs) All my uh, scrapbooks and all my crap out of the closet, they were all yellow and faded and shit. I I couldn't believe it, that somebody really cared about preserving the history. And now I go every year to the burlesque all the things. Because I love it. It makes me feel good. And see all the, what the young girls are doing in the neo-burlesque movement is amazing. I'm so proud of them. They really have done their homework and do fabulous jobs, especially girls that competed. Every girl that competed this year was fabulous. Oh, my God. This year, the competition was fierce. The best debut was an amazing... You were my favorite, though. You were my favorite. Uh- <laughs> I, was, I thought you would have won for sure. I was shocked that you didn't. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. But uh, yeah, I mean, us girls, it's it's really, really amazing how far burlesque has gone in the past. Let's just talk about the past 10 years, going from a very underground movement to something that fills the New Orleans theater in a sold-out show. And the tickets are sold out even like a month before the show, a few weeks before the show. Yeah, it went really fast. And... Uh, and the quality and just uh, of the, of the shows of the neighborless performers are just uh, get, I mean it's getting higher and higher the level of the of the shows it's really amazing. Have to compete now, you know. Yeah. And they are, and they are. Yeah, and uh, and I mean the support that you legends receive on that Friday night and the screams and the standing ovations. I mean the show that the neighborless community is very well aware uh, where we all come from, from you girls. I know, it's amazing. I appreciate it so much. I appreciate every hug, every, oh, I appreciate the young girls. They, like, brought a new life to me, you know, that I thought was dead. Yes, so tell us a little bit about, tell us a little bit about your retirement from stage. Yeah, I retired, uh, I uh, I worked in burlesque from 22 to uh, 42. Mm-hmm. I did the carnival at 21, I, uh, actually. But I started at the burlesque theater when I was 22. Mm-hmm. 
And like I said, I worked till 42, 40, 20, 20 years in the business. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just that pipe, so I'm a little bit buzzed. Um, <laughs> what did you say? Huh? What did you ask me? I asked you so to tell us a little bit uh, uh, why did you retire and uh, what happened to you afterwards? So you said that your costume... Tired. Yeah. Uh, when I was 42 years old, I was with a commanding officer on a cruise ship from Sweden. Well, he was the love of my life, and I didn't have to work or do anything anymore. He took care of me, and he bought me a home. And I started a little business called the Cosmic Hog Pen. Mm -hmm. I had it for 10 years. I just recently sold it. I sold motorcycle leather, tool bags, saddle bags, jackets, switchblades, wallets helmets, you know, boots, things that were bikers wore. And I had that for 10 years, and I did very good at it. Then it got where the business wasn't very good anymore. <laughs> so I sold it, and I've been working at the gym my friend owns at Nature's Way Gym. And uh, that's what I'm doing right now. The gym closed, <laughs> so now I'm just here with my animals, <laughs> going to the flea market once in a while on the weekend. It keeps the wolves away from the door. But I have a job coming in December for Fat Daddies. It's a new deli that's going to open up in town, and I'm going to be the manager. I'm a certified food manager. Whoa! <laughs> I'm to keep busy. <laughs> you must be a tough one, huh? Yeah, yeah. I like the hospitality industry, though. I like it. <laughs> I like people. So let's get to the second song that you have chosen. Uh, during your whole career, you have been a slave to the rhythms. You were going to listen to some melodies of Grace Jones. Rhythm is both the song's manacle and its demonic charms. It is the original breath. It is the whisper of unremitting demand. What do you still want from this as the same? Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Grace Jones, slave to the river. I'm just playing around Shit. 
were very very classic and for many years you did you did very very classic acts and one of them uh, your famous classic act was the one with two stuffed cockatoos is a prop right yeah two cockatoos that's when they first choreographed my number they choreographed me with those stuffed cockatoos and they looked like they were making love to me as i was working on a prop i had a prop that i traveled with it was like two foot by four foot you know you put it together and put a cover on it and then i did the prop work with um the two stuffed cockatoos. Yeah? Yeah, it was kind of, uh, it was classic. We kind of like doing the fans. And then I eventually did fans. But my first was the cockatoos, the stuffed cockatoos. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was co 
choreographed that famous burlesque choreographer, Paul Markoff. Mm-hmm. He also choreographed the uh, Ann Choreo shows, and he was worked with Tempest Star and Bryce Storm. He was a very famous choreographer in the day. Correct. And who, and who was doing your costumes? I had very famous costume where Simon Sore made that blue velvet with the ass out. It was a very famous uh, costume. Yes. If you wanted to become a star in my day in burlesque, you had to have the finest wardrobe, you know. You had to look the best. Today you can be a little overweight, but in my day you couldn't. You had to be a look a certain way. You had to have the best, especially if you were going to be a headliner, the best costumer. Hedy Joe Starr made my orange with the rhinestones on it. She was also a very famous designer. Bobby Gersten made a costume for me with rhinestones and ostrich feathers. And uh, when I started doing the aggressive art, I just went to a leather place and had um, them to make me a real body harness out of leather. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and like every month, we are inviting our listeners to ask questions to the legends. So Lady Velvet Steel from Berlin asks you, I saw a picture of you with a leather harness. Were you in any way related to the BDSM scene? No, I was not a professional dominatrix. Mm-hmm. I am an actress. I'm a member of Spain Actors Guild. Those guys just offered me a lot of money when I was finished doing that um, tribute to Marquis de Sade. They thought I was a real professional dominatrix. No, I never really was a professional, but I do like a dominatrix. And I am a little dominating. Yeah, just a tiny bit. <laughs> But I never went, picked it out like professionally for fetish and things like that. No, but I love it though. Uh, it's one of my passions. But so you're an intellectual um, uh, dominant woman because I guess not so many people maybe know who the Marquis de Sade is. So how did you, how did you start reading his books and what exactly fascinated you about uh, what he was writing? I liked the pain, the idea of the pain. That was when I was younger. Now, uh, I might look at it a little different. When I was younger, I just liked the exoticness and the aggressiveness of him. I think he was just, <laughs> I liked him a lot, what I read about him. I said, oh, I want to do a tribute to this guy. <laughs> how did you? How did you even stumble upon a book of the Marquis de Sade? How did that happen? Well, I always liked leather. Mm-hmm. I've always leather person and before I knew that I guess I just started researching leather and uh, aggressive art and things like that and I ran across Marquis de Sade <laughs> and I just started looking uh, reading about him I said oh I like this this is like <laughs> you know it's kind of like sitting I didn't really know that's what it was you know what I'm saying yeah. I like leather and the smell of leather and you know to be tough I just like that inside me and that kind of helped bring it out because that is a part of me that you can't really be tough to everybody but I try <laughs> and have you have you also been very tough to yourself I guess in order to become a burlesque star especially back in the days you had to be extremely uh, autocritical and tough on yourself and a very hard worker right I'm a little lighter now but I knew what I wanted and I went you know I knew what I had to do to accomplish that I knew I had to get the best photos the best gown the best act and that's what I did I knew I had to do that and I focused on that and I didn't stop till I become a headliner <laughs> And how often did men and young boys got on your way? 
<laughs> were you distracted a lot by them back in the days or were you just not too interested in them? No, I was not distracted by them, no. <laughs> I never dated customers, I never turned tricks. No, they didn't get in the way. I had girlfriends. Yeah? And they didn't really get in the way either because I controlled them. <laughs> <laughs> so you had your goal, become a burlesque star, you became a burlesque star, bang, that was it. Yeah. That's it. That's me. You do what I say. I was very tough when I was younger. I'm a little bit more gentler as I've got older, but... You're still tough. I got a really tough line. I can reassure you, you're still tough. I'm getting away like that. So let's talk about your tagline. It was given to you by Rosa Rose, the girl for yesterday, today, tomorrow. How? What's the story about the tagline? Well, uh, because uh, I think... She did it because of uh, the Camille 2000. She took it from that because I um, I never asked her why she did it because I am for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I'm here for a girl for all seasons. It <laughs> all covered, honey. We've been covering it now in my old age. I'm covering it as best as I can cover it. Oh God, and how Rose La Rose was right. You're definitely the girl from yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you're unstoppable. You're not planning to stop, to stop now. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to go to as long as I will attend the Burlesque Hall of Fame as long as I can do it. I would never go on, I don't think, in a wheelchair or a walker. If I get where I can't like do what I do anymore, I will probably become a recluse. Because... Um, I don't think I would. Maybe I might change my mind if that time comes. I don't know. But well. Now I wouldn't. <laughs> well, not that Camille 2000 need to walk on stage. I mean, Camille 2000 has Harley Davidson coming to pick her up on stage. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was so cool. I love that so much. And, you know, I just lost my brother who got me in the motorcycle business. He owned the Harley dealership and custom cycle in Oxford, Alabama. And he just died. And before I went on stage, I looked up and I said, this is for you, Raymond. He got me in the motorcycle business and um, he helped me out a lot. And he was younger than me and he just had a heart attack this year from stress. Oh, I hope it wasn't stress that you gave him, Camille, by being so crazy. <laughs> no, I didn't give him any stress. He was good to me. My brother, I love my brother. Him and I were both the black sheep of the family. <laughs> How many brothers and sisters did you have? I have five. I'm the oldest. Then there was my brother Raymond, the two black sheep. Then I have uh, two more brothers and a sister. And so, especially, this brother was particularly accepting of your career and of your lifestyle. And the family that it was accepting, yes. He came and traveled. He, he came to see me in Baltimore, in New York. He would come see me, yeah. He loved it. <laughs> but, he, loved it. he was proud of me. He would always say, I'm proud of you, Camille. He called me Camille. <laughs> Baltimore, the city of Blaze stars. So, which were the. Deity Burlesque is right up above our club at the two o'clock club. Yeah, so I was a. She was a southern girl, too. Yeah. So, uh, this is. A, I'm trying to lead you to talk a little bit about your colleagues and how were your relationships and who were you particularly friend with back in the days and your dearest memories of the backstages of the clubs of the 60s and the 70s. Well, I did like backstage. I was always a headliner, so I always had a private dressing room. But I did have some girls that I was really close to. Sheena Savage, mm -hmm. who was beautiful. Gina Bonbon was one of my girls that I used to travel with. Oh, she's such a crazy sweetheart. 
she's the one that helped me when I would throw up all the time. But she never was fucked up like me, you know. She was always <laughs> such a lady. You can all over somebody or something, you know. She would always be like, just like, come here, darling. <laughs> darling. <laughs> She always kept an eye out for me, though. I loved her. Oh. And I also traveled with Viva La Fiva. She worked as my um, co-feature. She was there this year. She plays the sax on stage. She's such a sweetheart. Oh, my God. For me, too. Her and I, we got a lot of stories. We'll have to tell you next time you come to the Burroughs Hall of Fame. We'll have some few dirty martinis to sit down and chat. <laughs> well, tell us at least one of those stories now on the radio. Oh, well, I will tell you one. Dale and I were in uh, Toledo, Ohio, working, and we were very high. It was after work, and we always went out to the gay bars afterwards and did whatever kind of drug was popular that evening. And so we parted, and uh, the undercover cops were trying to pick me up as I was walking to the car. And I said, go fuck yourself or something like that. And they locked me up for profane language. And... um so the next morning they put me in jail and whatever I was taking I was getting like high off, getting very high the next morning I had to go to court and I'm so high I had to find something cool to wear but I was living in Hollywood California at the time I was on the road so I only had like really wild clothes so I had to calm the, find the calm, calmest outfit I could wear but I go in and I think it's judgment day because I'm so fucking high the judge is named Gabriel judge something as Gabriel and I look at That's a great story. Well, because this is a... Uh, uh, no, Camille, you just took something last night and that was one of our stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, because this is a super open-minded radio show and we are lucky to uh, air this radio show, an amazing radio station called Alex Radio here in Berlin that give us total freedom in language and expression and everything. So let's... Yeah, so let's talk about it a little bit. Let's talk about the drugs in the 60s and the 70s. Yeah, I did a lot. I did a lot of drugs, and not so much that I couldn't, wasn't doing my job. I didn't get up every morning and do shoot heroin or anything like that. But we smoked pop. We took a lot of downers. But mostly, I would get when I finished my show, and we'd go to the gay bars afterwards. We would like get all of our drugs and do them, and then get up the next morning and do a show in the afternoon. <laughs> Yeah, it was just part of the scene, you know what I mean? You weren't like, it's just part of what happened. The Quaaludes were in the 70s and the 80s in Miami with cocaine. It's just whatever drug was fashionable at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I had to be fashionable. I started dating young girls that looked like young boys because that was very fashionable in the 70s. <laughs> and, I always wonder, and I always wonder where the drugs better back in the days. Ah... Uh, well, they were pretty good. I owed these several times. <laughs> that was an accident. I didn't do them on purpose. I would, use, I would take so many, I would forget. Quaaludes and on and out, and then take another one or two and off. I liked downers when I would finish working. You know, I really wasn't a drinker. I liked to smoke pot and do downers. 
Then in the 80s in Miami, we switched from that to cocaine. Yeah. I did all of it, yeah. <laughs> now it's up smoked up pipes. So. I'm pretty cool. I have some dirty martinis. I still got a little couple of parties left in me, you know. I'm not dead yet. Oh, my God. Can I be invited? <laughs> I want to be invited to all of those parties. Oh, yeah. You better hang with us the next time you come for sure. If you're ever in Florida, you better stop by my house. Yes, 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 yes. I live along with my dogs and my cat, and I've got a cool house. It's, like, really neat, and I love it. Oh. I'm very happy right now. I'm by myself, and I'll probably stay that way. I did have a boy toy last summer, a gorgeous 25-year-old. <laughs> That's great. So that's in the September, October, right? Yeah, September the 29th to October the 2nd. Great. So to all of our listeners, you can see Camille 2000 at the New York Burlesque Festival in September 29th to October the 2nd. And as well, let's talk about your book. That's where the, our listeners can find even more information about you. Uh, the book called The Cosmic Queen that they can order on your website, Camille2000.com. Correct. Yeah, that's a book I wrote about my 20 years in burlesque. I'm thinking about writing another book because I wrote that book in a hurry. Mm -hmm. I thought I was dying, but all I was was having a, a panic attack. <laughs> so I wrote that book in a real big hurry. So now I want to take my time and write one after the 20 years in burlesque, after I become a star. That uh, book is about how I become a star in burlesque. <laughs> and you went... I want to write another one, another book. You have to. And I... Yeah, you have to. And I want to know all everything that happened as well in between, between the end of your career and uh, when the, um, the Burlesque Hall of Fame got in touch with you as well. So we want to know all of the stories, not about the big showbiz stories, but just the story of you, of your life as a woman. That's uh, as interesting as all the rest. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I lead, I guess it could be a kind of quiet, boring life now. <laughs> I don't do much. Like I will have my job in December and be working in the at Fat Daddies. But in the meantime, I'm just taking it easy, not doing too much right now. <laughs> That's what you say. You're not take. You're you're taking it easy. But then every day something on your Facebook pops up. You're on a motorbike. You're here. You're there. You're running. You're doing. <laughs> yeah, just living life. Just living life. Yeah. <laughs> My friends have Harleys. I don't have a Harley anymore, but I go riding with them a lot. And they just filmed a documentary here, League of Exotic Dancers. They filmed it at the Burlesque Hall of Fame. And they came to my home and filmed me at home and riding on motorcycles and going to the gym. That um, film was in Germany. Uh, you might want to check it out. And it got really great and good response. And now I think it's in Sweden and then going to Norway. Exactly. Going to the world, if you get a chance to see this kind of league of exotic dancers. It's great. It's great. So I invite all of our listeners to check it out, to check the website of the League of Exotic Dancers and figure out where is the next training and not to miss it. And then hopefully uh, the documentary is going to be available for downloads or to buy it on DVDs. And I really, really cannot wait to have it in my hands. 
Oh, me too. It's a great movie. I'm really, yeah. I'm really pleased with it. I'm really, really pleased with it. I went to the opening of the International Burlesque Festival in Toronto, and that was the opening film. Out of 2,500 films, only um, 200 were chosen, and we were the opening film for that festival. Wow. So... Oh, it was so cool. Talking about you in front of the camera, not only you were a burlesque performer, but you were also in the movies. You have an amazing acting experience that started with quite of a funny scene, right? Tell us about your first experience in front of the camera. You were giving a blowjob, for what I know. <laughs> I mean... I was in Porky's 2. That's before I became a member of Spring Actors Guild. Yeah. And I'm just like Marie Antoinette. That's in Porky's 2. Porky's <laughs> the next day. And when they're watching the movie, if you didn't know it was me, you wouldn't know I was in the movie. It's like a film within a film. And while the politicians are watching an X-rated, supposed to be an X-rated movie, I'm the girl just like Marie Antoinette. Oh, my God. And uh, a guy comes in and he's like Zorro and he pulls his face. <laughs> What's to my knees like I'm going to suck his dick and I dropped to my knees and the fucking wig because the wig was about three feet high <laughs> and the wig kept falling over we had to shoot it over and over because the wig every time I dropped to my knees the wig would go head first that was my first experience in the movie industry oh my god so they were I became a member of Screen Actors Go and I got a speaking part on Miami Vice Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop played uh, Velvet, and I played a, Iggy Pop played Thumper, and I played a dominatrix named Velvet. Oh, my God. And uh, you became quite, uh, I mean, quite good friends, and you exchanged Christmas cards, weirdly enough. I, I, don't really, I cannot really imagine Iggy Pop's writing Christmas cards, but apparently he does, and you too. He did. I, never heard, I haven't heard from him in years, but yes, he did. And when I saw him, our trailers were right next to each other, and I've been an Iggy Pop fan for years. I would have done that for nothing. <laughs> when I got the part and they said it was Iggy Pop, I said, I would have done it for nothing, but I got paid for it. But he came up, he had like a penny loafers on, an eyes on shirt, khakis. He was just kind of like a kind of square, and I was like shocked to see him. I thought he would be dressed wild or something. <laughs> but he was cool. We smoked pot in our trailers. I had some good ganja. We smoked, um, he stayed in my trailer and we smoked and had a good time. Oh. It's a lot of fun. He's one of us. He's one of the real people, you know? Yeah. Was he, was he, was he impressed by you or for once in your life you were the one that was a little bit impressed and insecure and cute? I was impressed, but he liked me. He liked my style. He was very nice to me. He didn't make me feel, he made me feel welcome and good, and I was just as big a deal as him. He was very good about that. He made me feel good. <laughs> but he liked that character. I wore like a big gun in between my, um, in between my legs. It was like a gun that Clint Eastwood wore and Dirty Harry. They gave me a gun to wear like a phallic symbol. When Don Johnson walked on the set, me and Nicky Park were already in place. And he walked on the set, and he said, she's got a bigger gun than mine. <laughs> They were very nice, though. It was, like, really cool. Great. Tell us some funny, tell us some funny stories from, from the sets, from, the, from all the sets that you have been on, some anecdotes. And I guess that men were quite always impressed by you. I cannot imagine the cameraman, like, completely... Uh, 
<laughs> losing their minds. Everybody was always very, everybody was always very nice. I liked the movie industry. I loved it. It was like I should have been there like all my life. Um, I also worked with Burt Reynolds on um, Burt Reynolds on Be a Striker, uh, which was filmed in Jupiter, and uh, that was a lot of fun. And Burt Reynolds was very nice to me. He sat and talked to me all day. He compared me to Dolly Parton. He liked her. Did you remind me of Dolly Parton? I guess because maybe I had a Southern accent or something. You know? <laughs> oh my God! Great. I don't think, but he was very nice to me. So yeah. Yeah, so I like as well, because it's just the two of us, women, having a little chat, I always like to explore a little bit the private life of the legends as well, their love stories and uh, you know, just the romances. I think it's something so beautiful to explore that more um, very often in the interviews, people don't ask about these things, but me as a woman, I'm curious to know. Well... In the 70s, I only dated women. I had, like, girlfriends and stuff. And I did poison one of my girlfriends one time. It was in my book for lying to me. <laughs> and I had, since Eddie died, I really haven't had anything to do with much relationships. But I did have um, a boy toy last summer for a few months. And that was, like, really cool. He was 25 years old. <laughs> I was, like, the bomb.com. My friend, Bambi the Mermaid, she says, Camille, I really worship you now because I was calling everybody. I was so fucking happy about it. <laughs> excited with myself. Where did he disappear all of a sudden? Did you eat him alive? And his 18-year-old girlfriend came from Hawaii. Oh, shit. <laughs> I knew she was going to come. He told me, he said, you know, I got a girlfriend that's coming in June. And I said, yeah, okay. I was hoping she wouldn't come. And she actually did. Oh, well, I'm sure he, th he still thinks about you. Yeah, he does. We're very good friends. We're very, very good friends. He comes over and helps me with the house. Oh. Work, you know. We come over and we party together. We drink and we dance together. He sends her to bed, the girlfriend, because she's so boring. <laughs> yeah, and I stay up and party, and we just don't have an affair anymore. But we're very good friends. He never met anybody like me before. No <laughs> I, I know this. I know this is a funny thing about men. I mean, they're so fascinated by us strong woman and then they end up with this boring woman and, and they get in board with them but they don't have the balls to be with such strong woman like us so that's our curse a little bit right yeah, i know she was boring too she's ugly i think you thought he would be with somebody gorgeous like a young version of me <laughs> you know what I'm but she's boring dumpy like god i couldn't believe it because he was gorgeous tall <laughs> i have to send you a picture and message you on facebook <laughs> What's your language? This is gonna go on on the radio. She might hear it. So talking about Eddie, you yes. you did a wonderful act in 2011, right? On the R. Kelly song, I believe I can fly with big uh, uh, feather fans, and it was so romantic as much as Camille 2000 can be romantic <laughs> and it was so touching and beautiful and performed for years for like 10 years I like declined because I wanted to be remembered how I was mm -hmm. you know and then when I saw this 90 year old woman fan dancer come on stage I said if she could go on stage I can do it yeah so I did a tribute to my late husband to all Kelly's I believe I can fly 
and I came up from the stage, I guess you saw it, it rose up, and as I was coming up from the stage, I felt like a phoenix rise, and what it did for me, I was so emotionally moved from that performance, I couldn't stop crying afterwards. I almost collapsed when I come off stage, Bambi had to grab me. I was so emotionally moved, and girls would come up to me afterwards crying and say, I got what you were saying, I got what you were saying, it was so great. So it, that was very one of the most moving performances I think I've ever done. Because every step I planned for Eddie. Yeah. And that's how I did feel I believe I can fly. Because he didn't ever want me to perform again. He said, you don't ever have to do this again, you know, when I retired. Mm -hmm. But you did. And it felt good. It felt really good. It felt God. When I watch it once in a while, just to see and remember, like, yeah, you can do it. You can fly. You can do it. I guess I was unsure of myself. And I didn't want my fans to, like see me really old and stuff but now it's okay they like me like this so it's okay they can see me like this with a few more pounds and a few more miles and I'm still here to live to talk about it yeah so let's stream a little bit dear listeners and let's listen together to I Believe I Can Fly by Ark Kelly. Oh, oh, if I can see it 
than I can be it. If I just believe it There's nothing to it I believe I can fly I believe I can touch the sky I think about it every night and day Spread my wings and fly away I believe I see me running through that open door I believe I can fly I believe I can fly Oh, I believe I can fly hey, Cause I believe in can see it, then I can do it, if I just believe it, there's nothing to it, I believe I can fly, I believe I can touch the sky, I think about it every night and day, spread my wings. interview unfortunately it's always so short i wish we could spend hours and hours and hours together oh no i could talk to you forever i love talking about burlesque <laughs> i love what's happening now in the business i just love it i just love it i love it anytime anybody asks me for an interview i mean, it's my pleasure yeah anything i can do to keep this burlesque alive and in order to keep the burlesque alive us young performers we need advices from you legends that know it all so which sort of advice would you give to us well i'll tell you what i'm going to give you some advice <laughs> do what you want to do if somebody tells you that this is not burlesque or you can't do that fuck them <laughs> business and when i started doing aggressive art they said oh that's not burlesque she's not doing burlesque that's performance art but what i was doing then is now called neo burlesque today so don't let anybody tell you that you can't be yourself and do you know what i mean don't let anybody sway you you do what you feel like inside and if you're doing what you feel like on stage that's going to come through to the audience from your heart 
Definitely. That's, and that's as well a way to put some innovative things in burlesque by exploring new horizons and new, uh, yeah, break new boundaries. Yeah, yeah. But as well, uh, I know you had a quite, uh, at least for me, a controversial advice for uh, the to the young burlesque performers, and you you didn't really agree on the, on us doing floor work. I want to know more about that. That was a funny one. No, 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 no. Don't get on the floor. The reason I say this, <laughs> I say this because when I paid a very famous burlesque choreographer to choreograph my routine. We had a prop built. He said, you never get on the floor. <laughs> never get on the floor. Well, he told me, and that's what I passed on to the <laughs> intelligence on to the young girls. So they can do with it. With I guess that Blaze Star didn't have the same choreographer as you. <laughs> <laughs> People got on the floor, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's really funny. And I would never do floor. Yeah, that's so funny coming from you because you're so wild, 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 but you ex express this craziness in a different way. That's what I love. Everybody would expect you to do floor work, and you don't. You do it, uh, you do it in a different way. Yeah, I do it on a prop, very classy, very elegant. Yeah, right on. I had the most beautiful prop work. I wish I had a prop today so I could do some of my prop work at the Burlesque Hall of Fame. I had a, a signature stand where I stood up on the prop. I mean, it was just beautiful. All I did was go from one pose to the other. You know, it was just beautiful, elegant, with your hands. It was just beautiful, elegant work. I'm very proud of that work. Maybe I'll recreate it one year or something. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get Camille 2000 a prop. Yeah, I gotta get a prop made. <laughs> well, knowing how determined you are, that's gonna happen. And sooner than we think. Yeah, because I do want to show some of the girls beautiful prop work. Nobody's done it. That's what I was famous for. In the class, it was a beautiful prop work. It was just beautiful. Wow. So, by dreaming of this new prop and of all the surprise that you're going to give us in the future, we salute you to Camille 2000 and we're going to let you ride away on your Harley Davidson from Burlesque on Air to your new adventures in life. Thank you very kindly and you guys have a cosmic day. <laughs> you have a cosmic day too and to our listeners we remind that they can check uh, all of your news on your website www.camille2000.com where they can as well get your book Cosmic Queen and uh, as well just read to all the interviews, inform yourself online, watch the documentaries, read the books about burlesque. Remember, burlesque has a story, a story that is made out of women that have made the story of burlesque and their own lives are so interesting and uh, so amazing to explore. So just join us as well in the next adventures of Burlesque on Air because every month we are going to interview a new legend with a new amazing experiences and stories and stories to tell. Thank you Camille 2000 and I hope to have you back in Burlesque on Air sometimes in the future. Thank you very kindly. <laughs> Sex. Sex. And 
dear listeners of Burlesque on Air, I know, I know, I know you're all expecting this moment to hear the sexy and exciting voice of our legend of the legends, of the queen of our hearts, Satan's angel. Welcome back to Burlesque on Air. <laughs> queen of your heart? <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> almost like telling me I'm a cutie pie. <laughs> well, you know, it's, <laughs> we're getting to know you better and better every episode, and oh, we are discovering. Good or not, tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and we're discovering the soft side of you. You're such a sweetheart, admit it. No. Uh, oh. <laughs> that? I'm supposed to be the rock and roll badass of Burlesque. Yo, yeah, you're rock and roll. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's funny because one of the movers is, is um, playing and you know, I got a headset on and threw it real loud. And I took his headset away, you know, for one of the years. And I said, you know, I, I, I've been dancing to that song since 1997, since I came out of retirement. He said, you're kidding. This is Santana. I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> So talking about Santana and that era of rock and roll, end of music, end of burlesque, the end of the 60s and the beginning of the 70s, that has been a little bit the theme of this episode as well. Um, when uh, the pasties and the G-strings popped off the bodies of the burlesque performers and the striptease artists went nude. I guess you experienced the first hand that uh, era of burlesque so we would like to hear about you, your impressions of those times and uh, how did the world of burlesque change uh, sort of at the end uh, of the 60s, the beginning of the 70s and then the end of the 70s when sort of burlesque wasn't that popular anymore. Well, yeah, it... it um Burlesque, when I first went into the business in 1961, uh, that old broad sitting there in the dressing room, she was about 35, 36 years old, and I, I laugh every time I say this line because, you know, I'm 72 and I'm still bumping and grinding, but then I don't take anything off, I'm not crazy. My top dogs still look good, but <laughs> isn't that all, hell no, you know. I don't want to see my own self naked, what are you kidding me? But in 61, you know, um, she said to me, why are you doing this? I said, because I need the money. And when people say to me, oh, it was for the love of the... No, hell no. It was for the money. That's what I did it for. And that's what most of the girls did it for, because women could only do so many things at that time. You know, there was only so many careers that you had, which is usually a salesperson or a mother or a stay-at-home wife or something. No, I wasn't none of that. So coming out in a business that was dying was on its last leg. And for them to put such heavy restrictions, to still keep heavy restrictions on us with full netted panties, panties. <laughs> and somebody said, Bong, you thought you were talking about something you put your foot in and went to the beach, you know? Nobody thought about this panties. We had G-strings. <laughs> we wore netted or chiffon nude see-through panties with G-strings underneath. You could not show your butt crack. You had the same thing in brassieres or your tri, um, triangle pattern, um, yeah, pattern bra. Uh, we had to have pasties on underneath. So normally we would have like three bras on, three pair of panties just to, you know, prolong 
the art of taking it off. But when uh, we fought very hard, LA was very, uh, Los Angeles was way far ahead of us in San Francisco. And they were already going topless. We weren't in San Francisco. We were still fighting, you know, the, the pasties. We wanted to dance without the pasties. Which was funny because eventually when it became topless, when everybody could show their nipples, well, there was always a few countries or a few states that were, you know, they didn't want you to. And being a fire tassel twirler, I was not taking my pasties off. <laughs> anywhere from three three to 20 times a day, I wouldn't have any nipples or areolas <laughs> Nothing, you know. Uh, because the pigs were just putting them off. So, and they would get mad and they'd say, well, why didn't you take your pasties off? I said, because I got nine shows to go, that's why. <laughs> why would you like to put a pasty up in your penis and pull that off 20 times a day? <laughs> you know, six days a week or seven days a week. Hello! Like, oh. <laughs> you know, so, but the, um, the, the, it started uh, when it actually went into topless and nudity and things like that. That opened up a whole new world. You know, the gentlemen's clubs took over. So it was kind of like you could walk across the street and get an orange juice. They charge you like 20 bucks to get in the door for, or, you know, a Coca-Cola or something. And you could watch a girl totally naked. Um, you know, I put one leg on the East Coast and one leg on the West Coast, and, you know, I mean, they bend over, they, they showed you everything. You saw the whole H-O-L-E show. <laughs> you saw everything, you know. So, you know, how can you compete with that when you're across the street trying to do a very artistic tease? Uh, you know, with some beauty and some class and some style and grace and seduction and sexuality and all this stuff. And I asked a kid one time, and I said, really, would you rather be there at the Gentleman's Club or would you rather be at the Girls Club? And he said, oh, hell no. He said, I'd rather be at the Gentleman's Club. They're all naked over there. Oh, God. I was like, okay. Yeah, you know, so... You know, for me, right then and there, as I was getting ready to move to Vegas, I knew I had to make this move because Vegas was very strict on their uh, showing of the breast and et cetera, et cetera, you know. You still had to wear some kind of an underpiece on the bottom of your breast that cupped over towards your nipple. <laughs> So I knew, you know, unless I worked in North Las Vegas, I knew if I worked the strip that I could still maintain that element of class and style, you know. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. I, I was the longest running burlesque queen on Las Vegas Strip for 12 years. Wow. the big shows. So, I mean, there was a couple of small ones, too. Yeah. You know, and I love the small ones as much as I love the big ones, you know. It's just there was more money in the big ones. And the people that went to see them usually had a lot more money. So let's... People walking through the casinos. I mean, a girl couldn't sit down in a, in a lounge and order a martini and just kind of relax after the show without having a zillion men send you drinks and black chips in the bottom of your martini glass, you know, which is $100 chips. So girls are making like two fifty, three fifty a week. So if somebody dropped three hundred in your martini glass, that turns you head a little bit. Huh. In the sixties and seventies, you know, and eventually went into 
the thousands. So you, you can make money. You, you know, you didn't have to do anything. Just be beautiful and be intelligent and be able to hold a good conversation, you know. But um, as far as traveling outside the United States, it has always been named France and uh, Canada and, you know, everywhere. Uh, when I worked in the U.K., um, yeah, when I worked Europe and all out, especially in Asia, like Japan. Mm. I mean, you know, you open up the entertainment uh, newspaper, and before you even turn the first page, and on the front cover, there's a totally naked picture of me. <laughs> with my hoo-hoo and tatas and everything showing. <laughs> oh, they weren't shy at all. You know, so, and you know, then you come back, you know, to Vegas, and you have to put the pasty back on, and the undercover, you know, limestone wires into your tatas and stuff like that. It was crazy, you know. But, um, yeah, and then, you know, then television came out, and um, it's just like now nobody really goes to a theater too much anymore yeah. or, or to see a play. You know, they don't even go, they don't even buy porno movies anymore because everything you need is online. Yeah, exactly. So let's try to... A different world. Yeah. So let's try to analyze a little bit and maybe try to be a bit controversial in your opinion. So you were saying, well, I was working in a, you know, in a, in a theater in front and on the other side, there would be the girls in the club being completely naked. So what do you think? Where, do, where does... You could work in a club that had actually three or four different rooms. Yeah. And it just, it was just depending on, like, if, if it was political and they were electing a new police chief, they had all the goody two-shoes strippers in, in the front of the club, and then all the other ones that weren't shy, you know, or weren't newcomers, or just didn't do it out of their own, you know, personal reasons. Yeah, so what I want to... Room. Oh, yeah, baby, they weren't shy at all. And I have nothing against them, God bless them, you know, but... I, you know what? You just don't have enough zeros on the end of my paycheck for me to get out there and spread my hoo-hoo in front of you. Yeah, so what I want to ask you is... Very sanctimonious. No, baby, it, it's not for everybody's eyes. Yeah. For my lover. Yeah. So what I want to ask you is, do you think that, well, the girls who did it, were they desperate or were they a newer generation of women who were more free and, uh, yeah, were the times just changing? No, they were my age, maybe a couple of years older, a couple of years younger. It's just some girls are more free with their body and some yeah. aren't. You know what I mean? Like, I worked with one of the legends and she has absolutely... I mean, she's kind of reminds me of you romping around the Adriatic Sea with that fabulous dairy interview. You know, <laughs> you know that wolf whip honey. You know, some people are just more free. I mean, when I was young and beautiful, I was, we went somewhere, as a matter of fact, we were in somewhere in Yugoslavia. Somewhere there was a naked beach. Yeah. And we could walk naked. Yeah. And I said, I'm not going naked. And I said, well, uh, I said, you can't go on the beach, you have to be naked. I said, well, I ain't going to the beach. <laughs> I had this beautiful skin, I wasn't going to ruin it anyway. And, they, and I said, I'm going to put a G-string on. And they said, oh, my God, that's going to be embarrassing, Angel. We're going to run out of hundreds and hundreds of people with a G-string on. I don't care. You know? So anyway, I, I wore my G-string, and I, I waded out into the water. And, of course, the, you know, the salty water got through my elastic. And when I came out of the water, I was 
I'm walking all proud and cute like I was Miss Princess, Miss Queen here, you know, and tripped over my G-string because the elastic had stretched out and got down to my ankles and I fell over into the sand. But, you know, with my ass all over my hoo-hoo hanging out, I was like, ah, well, fuck it, you know. <laughs> join them, you know. Can't beat them, join them, you know, so. But yeah, I'm just, it's just me. It's just me. Yeah, so let's let's maybe maybe let's find a maybe let's find a compromise between the two of us. Let's be naked on the beach and wear g-string and pasties on stage. What do you think about that? As a conclusion. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Your next young lady is a shy woman. I'll tell you. Nope. I, I, I remember a couple of times working with Camille now. You get them, you know, because we, we would be drinking and stuff, you know, and partying, carrying on and stuff. And I woke up one morning and she was in my fucking bed. <laughs> she looked at me and I looked at her and I was like, oh my God, did we do anything? She goes, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't know if something happened between yeah. Satan's Angel <laughs> and Camille 2000. <laughs> You know, because, I mean, I was a lesbian, and I think she was just bisexual or whatever. You know, like most people, and I don't even like to use the word bi. Pooey, I hate that. Something, <laughs> buying something. They're just a free-spirited person, you know. They just love to be with whoever they want to be with. And, I mean, she used to do that to me. Like, one time on my birthday, I was knock at the door and opened up the door, and she was standing here in this long fur coat, and she just opened it up and said, Happy birthday, baby. <laughs> She was butt-ass naked. I was like, God, you just tempt this poor lady into death, you know? Because she knew I had no lady sitting there. You know, oh, didn't I think I'm both... Anyway, um... Oh, my God. It's, you know, it's just a, yeah, it's just a crazy story. And, you know, she started that Whitney Beat Me thing on stage with the blood and the knives and things. You're really going to enjoy her. She's a fabulous lady. She's really wild. I think she's wild in the mind, to tell you the truth. And uh, she's not shy. And she's a Harley girl. She's got a nice little Harley shop down in Florida. And she's got a beautiful little hacienda, one of those Florida hacienda homes, you know. And uh, she, you're going to have a blast with her. She, she's yep. got some stories for you, I tell you. Yep. We yeah, just she's did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my dear darling, my beloved Satan's Angels, thank you for being uh, in yet another episode of Burlesque on Air, and we are looking forward to hear some more insights of the burlesque world in the next episode next month. Thank you so much. I love you guys. I I love we love you too. Bye. And with this, we are sadly coming to the end of this episode. How did you enjoy it, Suzanne? It was amazing again, Lara. And especially when you think that you can't be surprised anymore, these legends. We'll do it again. And I guess you're very, very happy that uh, yet another time we are having... A lesbian, bisexual oh, yeah. sure. <laughs> woman in this show. So we're exploring the sexuality of these amazing female goddesses. I'm extremely, extremely excited. They're sharing so much of their intimacies with us. Suzanne, 
It's time to say goodbye. Suzanne, do your job and remind yet again where can our listeners find us and follow us. Yeah, of course. So you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash burlesque on air. Then on iTunes, on SoundCloud and TuneIn. And we have a webpage www.burlesqueonair.com with links to our podcast, our videos and more. And who was responsible for the show? It's me, Suzanne. Yeah, the next show of Burlesque on Air is aired on the 3rd of August, 8pm on Alex Radio Berlin. Until then, bye. Goodbye and see you next month. Bye.